Today's episode is sponsored by NRB TV. Are you looking for the truth on television? In today's society, it's hard to find truthful messages. NRB TV is determined to change that. Their goal is to consistently deliver impactful programs that help you dive deeper into God's word and provide the practical tools you need to put your faith into practice. Learn more at nrbtv.org. Again, that's nrbtv.org. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins, and I'm here with Eric Geiger. What is up? Who is, uh, of course, co-hosting today. We are just, I don't know what today's podcast is going to be, because first of all, you know, we usually only have one guest, and today we have two. Second of all, we all know each other really well. And third of all, we've all been executive pastors. And so I think today will be a very interesting conversation. Man, it's an honor for me. I love, I love anytime I can hang out with Josh and Kevin instead of do it on the podcast is, is great. And so I'd, I'd like to go ahead and introduce him, Todd, if I can, if you'll let me, let me do Absolutely. that. So we have Josh Patterson and Kevin Peck joining us today. And I met these guys really around the same time. What, what year was that guys? Was that 07, uh, 10, eight? I think it was around eight. Yeah, that, that feels right. Yeah, oh uh, eight. I think it was oh eight. So 2008, we all three of us at that time had the title executive pastor, yeah. and they're 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 st- Kevin and Josh are still at the same same places, but different different roles, and their roles have expanded from from that time. But Kevin Peck was the executive pastor at Austin Stone. I was the executive pastor at Christ Fellowship in Miami, and Josh Patterson, executive pastor at the village in uh, Dallas, Fort Worth. So we actually met at an executive pastors gathering. And then we started hanging out at least once a year. And uh, Josh is harder to hang out with than Kevin, just because he, <laughs> here we go. He's like, <laughs> well, cause he has, he just says he has 74 kids. That's why. Yeah. That's, that's part <laughs> of it. The 74 why. kids thing. Oh, wow. And he, 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 you know, he's, he's, he's more, um, He's more elite than us, Kevin, right? I mean, as far as like his choice of restaurants and his exercise needs, you know, anyway, but we always invite him, but, uh, cause, cause he's also the, the more godly of us. Would you agree with that too? 100%. So now I'm convicted talking smack about Josh because he, he does. <laughs> God, you remember when you he said you weren't love. sure how this was going to go? I knew exactly how this was going to go. <laughs> Uh, but man, I I love these guys so much. Honestly, I have learned, have learned so much from them. And whenever there's a, a crisis in my, in my life for leadership, I, I'll ask myself sometimes, how would Kevin handle this? How would Josh handle this? Um, I know even when we go months without talking that if there's ever something up that I need insight on or a friend or prayer on, I could reach out to these guys anytime. And so it's been, so I guess, you know, 10 years now of, of that relationship. And I'm really, really, really grateful for it. So if you're listening, you are going to learn a ton from these guys. They are, they are godly men, um, phenomenal leaders, and they have lived in the trenches of significant ministry for a sustained and faithful period of time. And they're, they're two men I, I respect a ton and, and enjoy relationships with. So guys, thanks for being on. It's, it's really an honor to have you. Yeah, you bet, man. This is going to be a fun. Yeah, thank you. It is. It's an honor to be on with you guys, and and I just echo 
I feel the same way, man. Love you guys. I'm grateful for you. The Lord's used you in really powerful ways in my life. And so I'm, I'm very grateful. Well, one of the things that, um, that we've done recently to continue to uh, partner and work with these two guys in particular, uh, Josh and Kevin, is we've started a, um, a strategic learning community with them. I'm sorry, strategic leadership community with them. And um, they're going to be having three cohorts that they're walking through. They're already full, so I'm sorry. Um, but we'll do them again next year. But uh, we, we we are working with them to basically, what does strategic leadership look like in the church at uh, that high level of leadership? How do we go about getting things done, making sure that we're organized so that we can be effective in our next step of our church ministry and making sure that that goes all the way down to the staff and the volunteers and leaders in our church? How do we help everybody find their next step? So. We're really excited to uh, to partner with that with them in that and offer them uh, offer that to you. So uh, I, you know, this is our inaugural run. We were we were just sh- shooting videos last week with both of them. So it's it's going to be a really cool community, uh, and we'll bring you more information on that probably uh, later in the show or in the show notes. So I, I want to go ahead and get started. Yeah, Todd, I'm not surprised at all that is that it's uh, that it's filled up, and, and that's uh, I mean encourage him, but not surprising. There's guys who will email me and ask me, man, how can I get some time with Kevin or how can I get some time with Josh? And so this gives a great, a great opportunity for that to, for that to take place. So for sure in the, in the link of the notes is where people can be able to find out how to get tapped into, to a future. Absolutely. Community. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Great. And it's, I mean, you know, it's like 12 to 15 people. So you're, you're meeting multiple times, three times, once in Austin, once in Dallas, and then once here uh, in Nashville at Pipeline. We actually make Pipeline part of that uh, learning community as well. So without further ado, I do want to get started because, um, you know, these are people that, that you and I both often call to find out, you know, who they're learning from. So this is just a chance for us to ask that in front of everybody. Uh, Kevin and Josh, who are you currently learning from? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in first, uh, if you don't mind, Josh, and then uh, you can have a better answer in a second. Uh, but the, uh, yeah, for me right now, Russell Moore has been, um, I think, one of one of the most helpful leaders for me to not only read, but to watch. Um, one of the things that I find um, particularly helpful from him right now is the fact that he leads with both conviction and kindness in a, in a culture that's been really increasingly suspicious of Christian leaders. And... Um, and I'm not even saying that some suspicion of Christian leaders isn't merited today. I mean, I think the reality is, is God using sinners does present a, a unique challenge for those who don't understand that uh, the only perfect man is going to be Christ Jesus. And the rest of us are going to fail uh, far short of that. But I think uh, as the culture kind of tends to to focus on the weaknesses of Christian leaders um, and also the, uh, this, the seeming distaste that distaste they have for the Christian message. It's been really, really encouraging to watch Russell Moore navigate that. And so for me, uh, I, I love learning from him, not just by reading his content, engaging in the things that he's writing about, which I think are helpful, but watching his tone and his delivery, uh, has been, um, of a great help to me just cause I live in a city that's really similar in terms of its, um, uh, just kind of propensity to be to be uh, a little bit suspicious of of what the, the the Christian leader has to say, and so to watch him engage with with profound conviction 
um, and unapologetic um, devotion to Jesus and to his principles, but yet to do it in a way uh, that even the lost has to say that he's winsome and he's thoughtful and he's considerate has been, uh, I think, really, really, really helpful to not just me, but a lot of leaders around me. I affirm that. I love Russell Moore and, and definitely in, indebted to his leadership and, and even the way he's handled it. It has been fantastic, really, to watch and, and see. I, you guys know this. I've been on, I've been on a, I'd say a really good journey um, and somewhat of a challenging journey. But my, my, uh, the leader that I've been learning from is probably not one that most people would know. Um, I've just been working uh, with a leadership coach. He's an older man. Um, he's, he's down the road a bit. And, um, and so he serves as kind of a mentor to me and a help to me, um, a, a counselor to me in a sense. And, um, so it's, it's been in a, in a little bit more of the quiet space. And, um, and what's interesting is the Lord's kind of been doing this in my peer group as well. The guys that I, uh, am, am close with here in Dallas and, um, and we're kind of on this journey together. So it, um, yeah, so I, I've got, I got a leadership coach and he's an older guy and he's, like I said, he's been down the road and, uh, he knows organizational leadership. He knows life leadership. And it's been a real blessing for me as I'm, as I'm kind of turning, I, I turned 40 this year. So kind of looking into what the Lord has for me for this next decade and wanting, wanting to be faithful and fruitful in it. That's great. How often do you meet with with your coach, Josh? Monthly. Is it like a standing meeting, yeah. like set in the calendar in advance, meet for all day or an hour or how's that work? It's usually an hour. And then I've done some more intensive work. Um, so mainly the, the hour is just a, a call. It's a coaching call. And I uh, mean, we've, we've covered uh, a wide variety of, of challenges and topics, literally, whether it's been organizational challenges that I'm facing here in my role at the church or, uh, personal challenges with family uh, or friends or whatever it may be, just kind of navigating life. That's cool. Do you set the agenda or is he set the agenda? You know, it's kind of both. Uh, he'll always, he kind of starts it with a, with a question, um, uh, something to the effect of, um, tell me about your leadership. And man, it, it, I, I've, most of the time I'm bringing something. I've got a challenge. I've got a question. I've got a pain point. Uh, I've got a curiosity and it's really, it's intriguing where it goes. Um, and you know, it invariably will go back to the heart. It'll go back to, um, yeah, it's <laughs> like I said, it's been both really beautiful and really challenging. Uh, I've probably been stretched more through this, uh, over the last two years. Um, it's been surprisingly good. Yeah, no, watching him go through it has been really, really cool. I think, uh, just having kind of known Josh this whole decade and watching him go through kind of a number of, of learning iterations. This one's been unique. And the fact that this coach has been able to actually um, find that convergent of his professional life and his, his life with Christ and, and actually motivate, I think a lot of change in him as a, as a, like as a human, yeah. especially with navigating the, the, the pressures and the stretch that it is on the spiritual vitality of, of a Christian leader. And, and, and Josh has been one of the foremost examples of, of a man who's, who's fought for that and led in that and has walked with integrity and spiritual vitality for as long as I've known him. 
but this guy seems uh, to have been um, <laughs> just an incredible guide in that. And so I tease him often because he, he'll get back from a, uh, one of his <laughs> sessions and his next call is always a recommendation that I jump in. Oh yeah. He always this says, you, man. Bro. Yeah. He says, this was, we handled a lot of my childhood issues and we even talked about some deep wounds <laughs> and his next step is, yeah, Peck, you really need to do this. And so oh, yeah. I'm not really sure how to receive that, um, but I do know that it's good. Well, let me, let me uh, go to question number two, Todd. So question number two, we'd like to ask is what is the main point of emphasis either for your leadership team or, or for yourself right now? And, and I'm, I'm interested in this question with you guys, because when we first started interacting together 10 years ago, we were in, in different contexts, different cities, but, but we had same theological convictions, same concept of we, we have to be grounded in the scripture, but we want to reach people. Uh, we, we were trying similar things with multiple campuses. Uh, we were leading, all of us were leading large teams. We we're doing things in the city. Uh, but, but it was really, even though we had similar things, there was also always different points of emphasis. It just shows how each context, each church is, is different and unique. And so it was, it was always fun for me to, to hear and see different, different emphases, you know, uh, even though we were very similar, uh, things would be led differently in different times in our, in our churches. So what's the, what's the main point of emphasis for, for you or for your team, uh, currently? I'll start Kevin. You did the last one first. So, uh, for us, it's, um, we, we just launched this past year, uh, a campaign, a five-year campaign that we're calling multiply. And, um, currently we're, we're a church with five campuses. So we're a multi-site church and, uh, it's a lot, man. Um, that's our, that's our leadership focus right now, making sure that each one of those campuses has a healthy, uh, yeah. kind of catalytic leader with a healthy leadership team and a healthy membership in place to transition. And so we got five of those to do, and we're hoping to do those, uh, really by 2020, 2021. And, um, so that's, that's where all the cannons are pointing right now. Man, and obviously there's folks who will have, uh, affirm like that, like crazy philosophically. There's other people who'd be like, Oh, that's cool. Philosophically. Uh, I really like to, to hear from a leadership standpoint, how much of when you launch a major initiative like that, how much of the time is on the front end design work, strategy work for what it's going to play out for the next couple of years. And does that pace continue? If you had to, to look at all of the amount of energy and time and mental stewardship that you give towards a major initiative, how much of it's on the front end or is it, do you, do you anticipate it being sustained the, the amount of focus you're giving it right now for the next, for the next several years? Yeah, I actually do. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, on the front end, we, this kind of germinated probably five years ago. We had uh, one of our campuses, our Denton campus, which we did transition off into a, a local autonomous church called the Village Church Denton, led by Bo Hughes and, and uh, a group of elders and pastors and leaders there, um, which has been a fantastic kind of case study. Um, they've been autonomous now for two years and it's been great. Um, but before, before we launched Denton, uh, a lot of the heavy lifting was theological and, and philosophical where we needed to kind of go back to the text and ask ourselves some questions. And theologically, we, we have no opposition to multi-site, uh, but we did sense that the long-term uh, hope for our campuses 
was for them not to remain campuses. And so we needed to get into the text and do some of that uh, heavy lifting. And um, so there was, a, there was a lot of work there on the front end of that. And really teaching, coaching, um, kind of exegeting and explaining to our people this cultural shift uh, for us because, you know, we had five campuses at the time and uh, we've transitioned Denton off, like I said, but have added another one. Um, and so now the mindset is this is what we're doing. It's just a matter of time. <clears throat> so um, it's a lot of work to get the campuses ready, you know, because we didn't build this thing with the mindset of transition. And so unwinding central services and ministry services and staff, and it's, it's just a really big shift. So it does take, uh, it's pretty top of mind. And we envision being that way for a while. Kevin, what about you, man? What's the main point for you now? Yeah. Um, you know, obviously one of the things during the study and research stage, um, was really helped by, um, Josh and his leadership team as they kind of, uh, engaged that dialogue because our, our passion of the stone is really similar. We want to see multiplication happen at every level in our church. Um, I think we kind of realized that, you know, our space in history is to, um, be birthed, grow up and mature in Christ and, uh, multiply and, and then, and then go to the house and be with the Lord. And, um, and so we want to be faithful with our, with our stewardship of time that he gives us to impact the world and multiplication is the plan of God for that. And so we've been processing through that as well. I think for us, the, one of the great challenges for us is we think through the next steps is, um, kind of dealing with the context of our of our city, it's been surprising to find out Austin's unique because it's a really fast growing city, both in demographic and in economics. And, uh, now finds itself at the top of the list of, uh, most economically segregated cities in the country. Um, and what makes that a real difficult combination, both being economically advancing and economically segregated is it, it's creating pockets in our city that are getting really difficult for gospel change to take place. Um, there are parts in our city now that are uh, um, uh, economically challenged and yet property prices are kind of, uh, they're booming everywhere, which makes um, church planting an, an interesting endeavor here in our city. And so for us, as we've kind of navigated the future and what it looks like for us to leave a mark and leave a legacy, once our time is, is gone over, it makes sense for us to have um, kind of missional outposts around the city. So we plan on um, with the same desire for multiplication to stay as kind of more of a, um, f you know, five hub, um, multi-site, um, methodology. And so we're, we're dealing with what does that look like for us to be robust multiplying network of congregations in our city, um, that stays together so that we can share the economic burden to make, um, and the resource burden to make multiplication possible in every part of our city. Um, one of the challenges with that, obviously, is as um, as leaders grow uh, and as leaders develop their own voice and um, develop their own um, passions, um, we're asking the question, how do we stay together? Um, and so our big learning right now is how to lead over the long haul in a um, in a humble plural leadership model. So how do we how do we lead together? And we know that it's going to take a profound amount of humility. Um, we're doing this not only to kind of combat the celebrity culture and the domineering leadership style that's pervaded large churches, but we're also doing it as a way to 
humbly approach our city in a missional way to say what's best for our city, we believe is for us to stay together. Now, how do we do that when just honestly, large churches can bring large personalities. They can bring um, people who aren't great at sharing vision or um, deferring to one another. And we're just asking the question, how can we do that in a way that models Jesus to our world? So that's, that's our learning right now is, is working together for the long haul for the mission of the church. Um, as each one of us kind of grows, um, as individual, um, kind of main leaders, but doing it together. Well, what, I, what I've always appreciated and still, still very clear in, in both of you is that the thinking and the intentionality behind the ministry, the, um, the theological awareness that we, we want to do things that are, that are right by the text and, and, mm-hmm. and philosophically are aligned to where we are theologically that there's not a, there's no sense of winging it. And obviously we know that ministry is an, is more of an art than a science. And so there is a, there is a time where we where it's because it's messy and there's so many things happening with, with people that we care for and shepherd um, that part can feel, feel messy at times, but the thinking of ministry can be clear and, um, disciplined and, and focused in a direction. And that's, that's what I've, that's what I really have appreciated. God, you want to go number three? Yeah, I'm ready. Uh, what are the two or three things you absolutely must do daily and what benefit do they have for your life and leadership? Well, we know Josh has to do some kind of random exercise <laughs> daily. Hourly. I thought it was hourly. Like, Every, 15 minutes of every hour, I thought were dedicated. He to has, temple. he has recommended more exercise and health related books to me than any other person in ministry. And I've read them. I, I respect Josh so much. I actually buy them when he recommends them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll jump in. I'll, I'll, I'll let Josh go second. Uh, that way, if he wants to say fitness, uh, it will at least have some space because it's, it's not going to be in mind. I am, I am going to say fitness, but go ahead. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So for me, I, I mean, this is one that I know it's true of both Josh and I, and I, I know it's also true of you, uh, Eric, and you Todd as well. Uh, but I think it has to be said because the minute you assume it, it doesn't happen, which is, uh, you know, every day I need to connect with the Lord in prayer and in his word, I make it the first thing that I do in the day. Um, Candidly, because mm-hmm. I'm quite strong-willed and my will is not good. Um, and so I think it's a necessary step for me every day to resubmit to the Lord of my life and um, to ask him to, to, to make his will be done and not my will be done. Otherwise, I'm going to make a dumpster fire of my life. Um, I'm going to have wrong priorities. Um, I'm going to have um, frustrations that I blame on other people, but really it's just the Lord's kindness to frustrate my own plans. Um, those things become crystal clear as I, as I get in the word and I spend time with them in prayer. And I think uh, honestly, the longer I do this, the more I find that it, because it's assumed, uh, it isn't happening. Um, and I think it's the <clears throat> sad, dirty little secret of, of churches, which is, uh, I think if you ask many guys who have endured in ministry much over yeah, a decade, right. you're going to find, uh, that they can tell you countless stories of, 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 um, people that they're colleagues with that, that, that after years will confess that they haven't been in God's word for anything other than ministry preparation. They haven't been in prayer for anything other than Mm. 
um, God saved me from the next nightmare of, of ministry, um, but that they've lost that. And so, uh, you know, one of the things I've learned over 10 years is that I don't need more, I don't need less responsibility. I don't need less transparency or less relationships or less duties. I just need more Jesus. Um, and I found that true. So that's the first thing every day. Uh, secondly is I need to connect with humans. Um, I know this sounds really weird, but, um, as, as a leader, at least in the context of a busy schedule in a big church, um, you know, you're connecting with, um, employees or you're connecting with direct reports. A lot of these things actually are just a way of, um, dehumanizing your connections, um, which makes you begin to feel like a part of a process, or maybe you start your identity becomes decision maker. And that's, that, that is your primary relationship with people is I make decisions rather than it's, it's not who I am, but what I do. And so uh, for me, what that means is, um, uh, number one, I, I make a, a strong pursuit every day to, to connect with humans in a human way. So I have a finish line every day. Um, there is a last meeting as I would call it every day. And, um, I tell my wife when my last meeting is when, when work stops, you know, and obviously I want to be human during the day, but the reality is I just, um, if I miss that, I want to make sure that I have a, a deadline where I, I stop being what I do. And I begin to be who I am in Christ and with people. And so a finish line, I tell my wife what it is every day. It'll be like, I'll call her and say, Hey, my finish line is my drive home. Or my finish line is my, is I got to come home and I got to, I got to punch some things cool. out till six, but she knows when it is. And my wife tells me her finish line. Um, and that way it allows us to say we're finished working and it protects a couple of things. Number one, we get to come home and say, we're finished. So now we're going to be human. And number two, it keeps us from thinking that our kids are part of our jobs. Um, I think that's difficult for busy people. Um, if we think our finish line is bedtime, then your kids are another job. Um, and I think that can be really detrimental for your humanity. Uh, my kids are not getting in the way of my getting off work. My mm. kids are Good. part of me being off of work. And I think that's also really important for my wife who it could be seen that her kids are her, her job. Um, but for her, I'm like, well, that may be true at some point during the day, but at some point they have to stop being our job and be our family. Um, and I think, so that's one piece. And then the second piece is connecting with humans, uh, in a way that I, I want to be around normal people. And I make it a practice for mine not to be around only leaders or only Christians, but I'm engaging in life in a way um, every day where I'm connecting with somebody who doesn't care who I am, doesn't care about my professional acumen, uh, isn't impressed by my, um, my perceived degree of success, who wouldn't know who I am if, uh, if, 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 if they tried. Um, and so, um, that means for me having conversations with my neighbors, spending time with my assistant coaches of kids, basketball teams and kickball teams and whatnot. Um, but those are things I have to do every day is, is kind of remain human and then also kind of remain a creature by connecting with God in his word. So those are something for me. That's, that's every day. Josh, how about you? Yeah, that's good stuff, Kev. Um, uh, I, similar, uh, I'll, I'll answer the first one a little bit differently. I've, I have to, I've got to abide every day. And, um, and there are, you know, I, I fight so many tendencies uh, in my heart to um, simply be a producer, simply be an achiever, um, simply continue to 
kind of work for my own validation and worth. And, and man, that's a real struggle for me. And it creates an internal pressure um, that I, I fight and I feel. Um, so, you know, any, any talk I give, any sermon I preach, any uh, presentation I'm writing, it, it just needs to be fantastic. And so I've got to fight that. So the way that I'm, I'm fighting that um, is not by lessening um, or compromising on excellence necessarily, but it's more abiding and starting from a, from a centered heart, from a heart that's right with the Lord. And so like Kevin said, that, that means time with the Lord. Um, and, and I've got to have that. And there are days when I don't have that. And it, it shows, man. Uh, it shows in my fren frenetic pace, which sometimes can be external, definitely internal, um, where I'm not able to rest. I'm not able to enjoy. Um, and so I feel that. Yep. And um, so abiding, when I think about John 15, um, you know, where the Lord's saying, um, you know, apart, apart from me, you can do nothing. And there's a lot that I can do apart from the Lord. There's just not a lot that I can do apart from the Lord that has any meaning. In fact, he says, there's nothing that I can do apart from him that will produce fruit. And when I think about the life that I want to, that I want to live and, and enjoy is I want, I want a fruitful life because fruit nourishes me. It's good for me. It's good for my body. It's good for my soul. Um, fruit contains seeds of life. Uh, it's able to regenerate and then fruit also is good for other people. Uh, so if, if I'm living, walking a fruit bearing life, uh, that's nutritious in a way for my family. Uh, for my church, for those that I come in contact with. And so I've got to abide, man. Uh, I've, I've got to be there and I've, I've got to be with the Lord in word and prayer. And uh, that, that has to be there. So um, the, <clears throat> another one for me, and you guys mock me for it and, um, and that's fine because I love you, but I do, I have to, I have to exercise. I've got to do something. Uh, uh, physical active. And, uh, and, and what's interesting is how that has morphed over the years. Um, and, and what that means for me. Um, but, but just kind of, uh, I, I love it. I enjoy it. And, and man, I'm, I'm not a meathead. I'm not a gym rat. I'm not, uh, I just, I enjoy it. Um, and it's something that helps me. It centers me. And so, uh, I've taken more walks, and, and this probably goes back to um, kind of this journey that I've been on. Exercise for me is not necessarily a CrossFit gym. In fact, I'm not CrossFitting anymore. I haven't done that in years. Uh, but it could it could literally just be a 45 minute walk through my neighborhood and just walking and thinking and praying and decompressing. And so those are the kinds of things that um, that I, I really enjoy. Um, and so, and then the third one. Uh, you know, you, you said, I must do it every day. Uh, yes, I must do it every day, but I don't do it every day. Um, and that, that's the thing that Kevin just said, where I actually have to connect at a heart level with people. Um, and, and I want to do that every day. I want to do that with my wife. I want to do that with my kids. I want to do that in deep relationship. Um, and there are days when I just don't, uh, when I, when I flat miss that, and so, but, but again, I feel that, I feel that crunch. I feel that press. I feel that loss really. But if, if you said, what are the things I've got to do? I, I really have to do those things. Um, I'm at my best when I, when I am doing those things. 
and man, I, I, I know I was making funny about the exercise thing, but I'm, I'm the same way. I, I, I mean, I hit, hit it seven days a week, but five, five days a week, I'm, I'm doing some type of exercise and it, it does do, I sleep better. I feel like I feel stress goes away. I'm more mentally sharp. So it, I'm with you on the exercise. Yeah. I just make fun of you because you, um, <laughs> Well, my wife was on your, your e-newsletter one time. You, you, were, you were discipling people on exercise. Bro, that was, that was, a, that was like eight years ago. I'm just giving you the history. Yeah. The history of your exercise is, is uh, you, man, you, you had a regular workout thing for the week, and then you became CrossFit king. I would go to Starbucks with you. And you'd, you'd order protein packs, man. Your pecs were jumping all over oh, the place. Oh, my goodness. And now you got a bike in your closet. I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible, Josh, that you called it a journey and it is true, man. You, I honor you for your fitness, man. Please hear it. Wow. Yeah. I don't honor him as much as I envy him, but that's different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you, you both mentioned this and it's question number four, but it's, um, you mentioned your, your home. Mm-hmm. I'd like to thread that out a little bit more. We, we, we believe that, if we, we can lead really successfully other places, but if we don't lead well in our home, it, it, the other places we lead will eventually lose credibility in those places if we don't lead well in our home. And le- that's the most important place we lead is our home. What does it look like for you to lead in your home? What's it look like for you? Man, that, uh, one, it's a joy. I love it. Um, I, love, I love the privilege and opportunity to be a husband and a dad. Uh, it, it's, it's amazing. It really is. Um, and it's challenging. Um, I've got four kids. I don't have 67 kids as was mentioned earlier, but, um, we, we have entered into the middle school years. We've got one in middle school and, and a, a few others kind of creeping up that way. And, and so life is, life is full and it's, it's busy and it's active. And so Natalie and I are really trying to, to kind of get used to this new normal where, uh, our kids, uh, you know, they're, they're in sports. They're not in multiple sports, but if one kid plays one sport, that equates to six nights a week. Uh, we have a practice and or a game, and and that that has been challenging. It's been challenging on things like if we have something every single night of the week. Uh, when do we have time just for the family? And um, and what's interesting is in our culture here, where I live, this is what everybody is fighting. Uh, this is, and so it's a struggle that uh, I'm not alone in. It's a struggle that our people at the church feel. And so learning how to navigate that with grace and, 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 um, and saying no uh, to certain things, it, it has just ramped up for us. So the principles that we, that we operated uh, by, they've stayed the same, but the context has changed. And so we're, we're learning what the practice looks like now for us. Um, and so um, it, it means, it means more time at, at home um, when we can get time at home. Uh, it means saying no to things that are really good, but they're just not great. You know, if it's not a heck yes, then it's a no for us. And, um, and those are just some principles that we've got to live by. Um, and just because life is, is really complex and busy right now. And I know it's just trending upward. It just gets busier uh, as, as Kevin knows, as his girls are a year ahead of mine. So man, his girl just, uh, his oldest just made the all-star basketball team. I don't know, man. She's tall, bro. <laughs> She's real tall. I don't know where she man, got I, it from. Yeah, hey, 
I've seen Kevin play basketball before. I I do think you may want to consider, you know, coming to visit him for a little while. Let me, let me, let me, let me try to help out a little bit with that. Yeah. Well, I knew, I knew we were going there because everyone knows you're, you're the court King. No, in my head. And I can just, I can just talk like (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you tell us of your accolades back in the day, you, you, you know, it was exactly. It doesn't matter ago. anymore. And back then, you know, people weren't taking YouTube videos of high school games, so I can just make stuff up. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah. I mean, no one has documented evidence, but I did in football play against Drew Brees. And so I can tell you whatever I want about what happened <laughs> in that game. Uh, but the truth will be something different. Uh, yeah. So yeah, leadership, my home, man. Uh, it is, uh, man, I love being a dad. It's one of my favorite thing. I have three girls, uh, and I just love connecting with them. I'm learning a lot from them. Uh, a couple of things I'll, I'll, I'll touch these quickly just as, as some practicals for people. Um, number one, I want to lead through example and transparency. My kids are going to love Jesus, not by what I tell them to do, but what they see me doing and seeing the effects in my life. I, I really believe that. And so that means the good stuff and the bad stuff. That means them learning how to be obedient to Jesus and how to repent when I'm not. Um, and so uh, a couple of things is my wife and my kids, they get my, um, they actually get my, my journal. Um, I actually, I do that digitally. So I use like Evernote to do my, um, my Bible journaling every day. And, and that allows me to basically share my journal with my, with my kids. So not, so all of my kids can have that legacy that where they can see me processing the text cool. and comparing my life to it, seeing where I'm failing and repenting and rejoicing where I see God answering prayer. And so just an example, I, my, my kids often more than the direct lessons that I've taught them, they'll actually reference back what they, what they read about in my, my journal. Um, and uh, obviously I'll do that a couple times a week. It's not every day. There's some things in there that, Obviously, I'm not going to send to a 10-year-old, uh, but, um, but they do know they're going to get it regularly, and I think it's a lot of fun for them, and it's, it's, it's a good accountability for me. Um, and then, um, yeah, so I, I think that one of the things that we, we do often, it's a regular rhythm. It's once a month. There's a, a Saturday breakfast where I take um, the girls to breakfast, and not only do we do a little Bible, but... Um, that's I, the, the end of that discussion is just asking them where I've wounded them, hurt them. And I need to ask their forgiveness. Um, I think at least for me, I think that some of the most palpably powerful times in leading my home have been in the places of my responding to my failures rather than highlighting their failures. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, you guys are all parents of kids. And so it just, I know that you guys feel the struggle too, that you feel like you're constantly correcting or coaching your kids. Um, and cause that's the normal relationship of parent to child. But I do think it's, it's a, it's a very good rhythm that the Lord's given us and our family to, to have a scheduled time where our kids have the opportunity to offer some correction as well. Uh, I'm just surprised every time at things that I thought hurt them didn't and things that I had no idea hurt them did. And it's a good moment for them to see, um, the power of the gospel to bring about healing and relationship. And, I think it's leaning them and inclining them to trust Jesus as a better way. Kevin, what were those three things one more time? Those three questions? Uh, yeah, no, uh, where, where have I hurt you? Uh, where have I disappointed you? And where, where do I need to ask your forgiveness? How, how, uh, how vulnerable is that moment with them? Do, do they share things? They do. Um, 
you know, I'll tell you with the eight-year-old, it's what you would expect from an eight-year-old. Um, you hurt me when you said no to pancakes, <laughs> you, know, you know, at 10 o'clock at night, you know, and, and, and you get to walk through that. I just go, okay, buddy, I, you know, I'm so sorry that hurt you. I, my hope was that you would see that I was caring for you, but if it hurts you, I'm so sorry. I don't want you to be hurt. That's not the aim of that, you know? And, you know, so you get to talk through that. And, and in some ways that, that moment is still a coaching moment for her to be reinforced that my no's to you are, are still yeses to your good. Um, now with my, my, with my, with my teenager, um, yeah, there's some ones that are really hard to hear. Um, there's some ones that said, you know, where she, I know I did wrong and maybe I even confessed at the time, but she's got to bring it back up. Like, uh, dad, when you said that I couldn't sleep that night because I thought that you didn't, you weren't proud of me. And that's just hard to hear, man. Like, yeah, just, yeah. I, I, you know, and, and then I have to, but what's been really cool is she, as she's grown in the Lord, as I ask her forgiveness, she speaks the gospel back to me. And it's a really cool connection moment where she mm, says, you are forgiven dad. And I'm, and Jesus still loves you. And I know I will too. And, and I, you know, dad, I know there's a thousand things I need to get forgiven. And so then she actually starts repenting of her sin. Mm. Um, and so, um, but I don't ever push that. I don't ever, I don't, it's not what I'm looking for in that moment. I actually just genuinely want them to know I'm not the perfect father, but I know who he is and I want you to love him. Good deal. Let me move us into our, uh, our, our last question. And this should be fun as well. Yeah. What would you tell your 20 year old self about preparing to lead? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll jump on. Um, yeah, mostly it, the, the answer would be a little bit like calm down and take yourself a little less seriously in the, in, in the midterm, short term to midterm. Um, you know, I've been somewhat of a kind of go getter from, from the get go, but I, it's really interesting to me because I hear in young men, uh, in the like 20 year old to 25 year old range, things that I know I said, and now I see just how crazy it sounds. Um, I, there was a time and I, I bet you men can think of this where you thought when you hit 30, I've arrived, I'm in the prime of my ministry. And when I look back on me at 20 and 30, I'm thinking, what a crazy person. Um, I now know that my prime in leading is still in front of me. It's not behind me. Uh, and so I think one of the things that I would tell myself about preparing to lead is um, spend a lot more time listening to humans uh, because reading doesn't replace it and um, prepare for the long haul because you're not, this isn't the NFL where if you don't make it by 22, you're not going to make it. That's not what this is. This is a long journey and, leadership is, um, is, is not something that you can, you can quick bake. It's just not a microwavable skill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Josh. Yeah. I, um, well, my 20 year old self would have been a Christian for a few months. And so, um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, there would have been a lot of lessons. Yeah. There's a lot of things I did not have in view. Um, a lot of discipleship that needed to happen, but um, I think one of the things that was was really helpful for me, I think about John Cotter's work on leadership when he asked the question, what do leaders really do? And the difference between leaders and managers and, and leaders, you know, they navigate and negotiate change. And, um, and oftentimes those kinds of leaders are leaders who were put in leadership opportunities or challenges 
um, when they were younger. Um, so, you know, their first big leadership challenge didn't come at 55. It probably came at 25. And, um, and so I would encourage the young leader uh, to step out in humility, assuming that the opportunity is being presented to you. And, and I think for me, learning to swim, uh, I, I learned that by getting in the pool. And, you know, all of us, and we, we've talked about this before, um, you know, 10 years ago when we met, uh, and it was, it was actually, I think longer than 10 years ago. Now that I think about it, but we were still, I was still in my twenties and, um, and was leading at a level that was beyond me. And not that I'm, I'm now beyond my context, but I, I was in over my head and felt it. Yeah. And I think we all were, you know, um, Kevin and I have been tracking, uh, we went to college together and we've been tracking with each other, uh, in ministry pretty much at the same pace. And, and we have felt in over our heads a lot uh, and inadequate in a lot of spaces. I know Eric, you felt that way as well. And God, for sure, totally, you totally. as well. I mean, we've all been there and, and the Lord has provided, he's grown us, he's stretched us. And so I, I think I would encourage a young leader to not be afraid of those opportunities uh, and letting those feelings of inadequacy uh, stop you from from doing it, from trying. Um, now that said, uh, man, there was a lot. Like like Kevin just said, there there were so many missed opportunities. There were so many things that I kind of whiffed on um, that I thought I was I was pretty savvy in. That looking back, I just wasn't. Uh, I just had a lot. Uh, I needed to grow in, in spaces that I needed to learn. And so to Kevin's point about that long haul of leadership, um, my best leadership wasn't at 25 and it wasn't at 35. Uh, it, it is in front of me. And so there is this training aspect of learning and growing. And for me, that has come uh, uh, through more seasoned leaders, people who are, you know, I've, I've got peer leaders who are in the fight with me. And I'm learning from them and, and then men and women who are ahead of me that I can learn from. And so this is kind of where the, where honestly, where our relationships grew is, is we would come together annually and learn from each other. And, and then that was, that was such a tremendous help for me. Um, and then learning from guys and gals who were, we're further along, you know, the Lord has just provided the right people in my life uh, for the season that I've been in. And so I, as a 20 year old, I would just say, um, yeah, I, I would long for that, pray for that and seize those opportunities as they came. That's great. Well, guys, man, as always, I knew I would enjoy it and I knew I would learn stuff. And so I'm grateful for the, for the time. Todd, you want to close out the, the podcast? Absolutely. Um, you know, just going back to, uh, how we started, if you've, you know, kind of enjoyed, uh, the conversation, just recognize that we all value, um, the relationships that we have with each other. Um, we all feed off of each other. And one of the, the beautiful things about what we want to do with the strategic learning community is bring guys together that, you know, 10 years from now can say, Oh, I met as part of that community. And, we walked through some very specific things and, and we were able to implement them, but more than anything, you know, I made some new relationships with some really, really solid guys. And, and two of those solid guys were uh, Josh and Kevin. So 
if you're interested in that, please take a look at the show notes um, and get connected. You've been listening to the Five Leadership Questions podcast. Please go on iTunes and leave us a rating and a review.